Sharmila and Lori spent the Obama years renovating a blue two-story on Chestnut Street, a tall, narrow house with a covered porch flanked by two giant pines. It was built in 1910 and had only one bathroom when they bought it. A steep slope down to the street made the path treacherous and presented a landscaping challenge. They weren't able to solve the problem of the slope, but now their house had two bathrooms and an extension off the back where they built their master bedrooms. Lightning recap. A couple interacts with the world around them in the wake of an election in Shaitali Sen's The Catholics. You've got a little time? We've got a little podcast? Sure we do. This is Short Story Short Podcast. I am Chris Garcia. Today here with... Christy Baxter. Ah, uh, yes. Spring has sprung. Uh, actually, I'm sorry, that was, I, that was incorrect. Uh, the roof of my car has sprung a leak. Uh, <laughs> bare tire well, which is now full of rice and baking soda. Uh, which just makes me want to escape into a fantastical short story of a world that could never exist. Which <laughs> I have chosen. Um... I don't want to say you would have chosen the Catholics by Shaitali Sen, but I don't not want to say that. So <laughs> I'm just going to say that's the story that we, we chose and then read. That's right. And this is a story that is not about the Stations of the Cross. So blatant false advertising. Um, but it's a really fascinating character study, more or less, of a time when... America was at a massive inflection point and it's being reflected back to us in very near term, but with enough distance that we can sort of attach things to it. Cause this one I think came out last year, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, I think so. I think it's, it's quite recent. So um, that definitely, I think it's, it's such an interesting aspect of, you know, how fast modern society moves, especially lately, but also really slowly. So I think it's a really fascinating aspect of society that um, for the past couple of years, especially, we've kind of needed to know the date of a, the creation of a piece of artwork or, you know, a piece of writing in order to put it in social context. Because the last, oh, I don't know, seven-ish years feel like to me, like they've been several decades. And so it feels like so much has happened and changed that you, you have to know almost a precise date. <laughs> yes, it is very much like that uh, Hunter S. Thompson quote about you could see where the high watermark crested and rolled back across the beach. It's, uh, it's an interesting point because things are happening so quickly. And again, we're seeing the uh, acceleration of human intellect and nostalgia also, because I will maintain this. This is a nostalgic piece. This is a piece dealing with the pain of an old wound, which is the Greek meaning of nostalgia, according to Mad Men. <laughs> well, no, I'm with you on the nostalgia. I think we generally use nostalgia in a more positive term. 
and like not necessarily thinking of it as remembering bad things, but I think it can be remembering bad things too, or things that felt bad because there's, um, there's almost a, a bittersweetness to it. And it still is like, even though it's a, it's a, maybe a negative thing instead of a positive thing, it still is something that became a part of your life and changed who you were. Mm-hmm. Yes. And a lot of times nostalgia in sort of modern parlance is used as a sort of escape vehicle uh, that we see nostalgia as a way of looking back to avoid where you are today. And this piece doesn't necessarily do that aspect, but it does play with the idea that life was easier when we were still able to lie to ourselves that, that these people didn't exist, that, you know, everyone was open and kind and caring and loving. But then we get an interesting aspect when we actually have something happen in this story, <laughs> that it is a, a view of the complexity of the interaction between, you know, you could say liberals and conservatives, you could go uh, the LGBTQ community and uh, the religious uh, segment, the Catholics, as it were, or even just the single people versus people with kids concepts that are all here, all mingling together in one stew that I find enchanting. It is really a, a good uh, setup of characters in that way. It's, it's really expertly done because you have. Um, such polar opposites, but at the same time, like, I don't know, I, I felt like Kiki and Dave seemed kind of cool, you know? Like, I, I mean, as, as long as we don't talk politics, which I prefer not to most of the time, uh, I probably would want to hang out with them if maybe they could get a sitter. <laughs> <laughs> see? See, here it is. I have no children, and there it is. <laughs> I get it. I see where you are. And, uh, yeah, see, I only like to talk politics, but I only like to talk zoning laws. Uh, <laughs> have, we have really done, done terrible things with our zoning laws, and we need to fix that immediately. Um, but what's great is that as the story progresses, we get to know these characters more and more through not necessarily their actions, but where they are, you know, dealing at the LGBT, working at the LGBT center. Uh, the work as a curator, I'll note, uh, there's all these sort of things that sort of are indicators of what a person does. But I find it fascinating that the Catholic or the breeder, as you might call them, <laughs> the male of that couple is a rock star. That Could was, it- yeah, that was something that kind of left me with a, a little bit of a question. Um, Whenever you have somebody in a story, first of all, who is purported to be famous or semi-famous or something, you wonder if the author was thinking of a particular entity in real life. So, mm-hmm. of course, like I was like trying to think of the dudes and bands and um, I'm quite ancient. So um, I like listen to the sound of drums while I paint my cave. Uh, so I couldn't think of anything, not a thing, but like, do you think there, there was somebody in mind? I don't know. For When I read it, I, this has no possible tie. I had Kevin Sorbo in mind, but 
Well, don't you always? <laughs> yeah, but I think there's an interesting point to be made, though, that they keep saying they're the Catholics, that they obviously voted for Trump. But we don't have any evidence of that necessarily. We do have evidence that they are a rather traditional American family, as it were, trademark, um, that, you know, has values that have not necessarily evolved past where they were. Um, but it's also interesting. I love the fact that they make a very pointed note that there is a, uh, they're in a mixed income neighborhood. And that actually plays a really interesting thing because eight kids, you aren't going to be in the, you either have to be in the way upper echelon to be able to afford to live with eight kids or you're at the bottom of the barrel scraping it hard. And it sounds like they're in the upper aspect of that where you had two uh, working class women as sort of the, but working class in non-traditional working class roles, which I find interesting. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't feel like a, a professor and, and curator feel like working class. They feel, is there an, a something like that's kind of like lateral to white collar? They don't feel like white collar either because it's not like uber capitalist jobs. So, you know, they're yeah, not tycoons. I, yeah, I think that that's sort of the interesting thing is that there's this new class of people that have arisen who are working class income in traditional white collar jobs. The intellectual gentry? Okay, let's put a pin in that. It's I a start. Like it's a start. I like the word gentry. I also like the word gantry. Uh, don't know what it means, but I like the sound of it. Yeoman. Oh, yeoman. Yeah. Or the other classic, yoke. I don't know why that one appeals to me. <laughs> but with an O-K-E, not O-L-K, because that's just wrong. But that feels very restraining. Like, is somebody whipping me? Oh, yeah, you're in academia. That, yeah, mm -hmm. okay, that works. <laughs> yes, oh, there's a little too much uh, knowingness there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think what's great also about this story is it doesn't fall into the trap that a lot of these kind of stories do. And that is they didn't make the couple next door into raving maniacal lunatics. Yeah, I want to say caricatures, but sometimes it feels like not so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's how do you caricature the extremes i guess is the question mm -hmm. of either of either end of the political spectrum how do you caricature something that's already sort of a caricature caricature if an unintentional one mm -hmm. that's true and i i do like the uh the fact that he's in amsterdam because you know what he's doing i know what he's doing shopping for wooden shoes uh, I thought he was going to get some tulips. Oh, they, they're not as popular anymore. I don't know what happened. Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> All that money I invested. Tulip <laughs> futures are going downhill. Yeah, well, it's all part of the new cruelty. I think that uh, looking at how the form of this story is, 
a vast majority of it is just the setup to that last portion. It is getting us invested in Charmilla and, oh, why do I, I already forgot her name? Lori. Lori. Uh, and then sidelight, uh, Peter and or is it Mario. Mario, uh, getting invested in those characters to at least to a degree before you really integrate in with them interacting with uh, Kiki, who you can't, you could not pick a better name for it. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, also, uh, I named the, my cat that in The Sims. So, really? Oh. <laughs> I, uh, Vanessa wanted to play The Sims really bad, but she didn't want to do the actual playing. She just wanted to build the houses. So I got her a, an interior design game, uh, which is just the part of Sims where you build a house. And Which interior design game did you get her? Oh, God. It's uh, like Design Mate, I think. Ooh, interesting. Okay. I'm going to have to look that one up because I played one a while ago, but it, it didn't hold my attention for an extended time. It was sort of... Um... It, it felt a little like unfinished. Like there, there needed to be more variety. Like if I'm if I'm decorating a house, I need more than eight paint colors. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I also love the loving attention they give to this house. Yeah, yeah. It seems like the house is very much almost its own character, and I, I like when a setting can do that. Um, and older houses like that, they do they do tend to have you know more character or whatever you want to call it. Um, than the newer stuff. You know, the newer stuff hasn't earned it yet. Newer stuff can wait 100 years and then it'll have character. That's right. I love I'm actually listening to an she audio. defensively. <laughs> I'm listening to an audiobook uh, by Ayelet Waldman, uh, who there's a line in it. She's trying to get a new house in LA and she's walking around and said, yeah, this is owned by uh, my wife's my mother-in-law's friend and uh, his boyfriend and she's like wait gay owners gold <laughs> <laughs> and what what's great about the house is this idea that they put so much into it and with the name you get the feeling that their neighbors are are not necessarily the outcasts of the their they seem like they're being presented as this is more of a uh, individual plucked out of what the rest are kind of more or less like in the neighborhood. And that this idea that they're making their home as their sort of oasis in that. It does have an, an oasis feel. Um, and so I think that's, that's one more aspect of why I think they were a little, in my opinion, overly defensive um, in, the, in the ending uh, is because of that, that feeling of needing to protect uh, your your home and you know your place from in encroaching things that you don't like. True. I also there's a moment in here that my poor reading ended up being better than the actual reading uh, when they're talking about uh, when they had moved and everything and uh, right out of I think it was right out of grad school was 2001 uh, the time of our last national disaster. <gasps> I, I noticed thought, that our last natural disaster was my thought. Which would have been also very interesting look <laughs> at how thing, but it didn't turn out to be that. So I feel smarter than the author. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, looking from here, 
that's not the most recent national disaster. What we're looking at is. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so with this little step back, we've gained another set of perspectives. And I think that is what stories like this do the best when they deal with stuff that's kind of close, but not on top of. Something that's not of the now, but speaks to now. I like the way you put that. I like that. Yeah, it is not of the now. You're right. No matter whether it was written recently or not. Um, it, it definitely feels like it was written for us in this this moment. Correct. I'm just going to let that land. There we go. I'm just letting it sit there and enjoying it. Hey, Chris, you got any other thoughts on this one? I, uh, no, not really. No, I don't think so. Well, hang on a second. Let me double check my notes. Uh, uh, that's right, people. She takes notes. Okay, I have three bullet points and that's actually more. Oh, oh, no, I have a funny one. I have a funny one. So I'm reading this, uh, reading this story on Electric Lit, which we love Electric Lit. They have, they have great stuff. And I get uh, about halfway down and there's an ad for like an email solicitation like they, you know, they want you to give them your email address and they'll send you information about their stories, which is fine, you know, but the way that they draw your attention to it and the main text is take a break from the news. <laughs> it's always what they put you in. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I think. I think this is a, a story that the power in it is in the power of developing characters that are recognizable and laudable and damnable in the same levels. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like they were really, the characters definitely, they, they weren't um, just loose sketches. They felt very human. Yeah, definitely. Totally. Completely. And I love humans. They're okay. Yeah, of all the sapiens, they're in my top three. Sure. Yeah. Hey, 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 Christy. Yeah, 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 yes. What might we read next week? Next week, we are going to read The Cold Equation by Tom Godwin. Excellent. One of the major stories in the history of science fiction that we're tackling so you don't have to. I mean, you might want to tackle it just so that you know what we're talking about, but you know what? It's your life. Live it however you damn well, please. Yeah, they probably should, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Well, until then, this has been Short Story. Short Podcast. Do-do-do! do do